Welcome to Diamonds in the Rough Draft, a heartfelt dig through discarded drafts from our past. I'm your co-host, Emily Anderson. And I'm Eric Anderson. On draft this week is Long Day Lager from Red Hair Brewing Company in Marietta, Georgia. While we drink our way through, we will be working through Emily's rough draft of the poem Benjamin Bunny. But first, tell me about this beer. So, we have a, a great relationship with Red Hair Brewing Company. They are located off of a road in Marietta, now called Franklin Gateway. It used to be called Franklin Drive. Franklin Road. Franklin Road, sorry. Franklin Road, uh, which off of which was our first apartment when we moved to Georgia. We didn't really know anything about the area, and uh, it, it was a rougher side of town. It's in transition. It is a transition. It wasn't when we were there. It was just scary but i don't want to knock it It, you made us leave because it was scary i made us leave because we had a really overbearing neighbor that we needed to get away from okay scary neighbors but uh, all right let me give you a little context for why i say it was scary the apartment complex that we were in wasn't that bad there were families there were you know we had some leaks but it overall was fine the apartment complex next to us was shut down all of the residents were kicked out, and then the entire thing was completely raised to the, to ground. the ground. Nothing left. Like it's wh- now the Atlanta United uh, football team training field, and it's very nice. It's very nice. It did now. not used to be nice. Yeah. In fact, um, when they raised it, and there was just destroyed earth there, we used to hear dogs fighting. Um, so it didn't do a lot for the for the ambiance of, of the place. of the neighborhood. No, yeah. No. Um, what other scary? But that's happen? taking away from talking about red hair. I'm telling the story because Red Hair Brewery's Marietta location was within walking distance of our apartment, and it is part of the turnaround on Franklin Gate. Yeah, yeah. So like they had a really neat spot, and we it was the first brewery I remembered going to where I actually went on the tour of the operation, yeah. and going through and seeing how they did it and what they did, and when we went they were having an event with the georgia house rabbit society yeah it was a a benefit for them yeah which has a special place in my heart because uh spoiler alert for the poem i'm about to read uh my one of my childhood pets was a very beloved bunny rabbit named benjamin bunny we we got a lot of like food and care for you know he they we'd board him with the house rabbit society they do a ton of rabbit rescue they do a ton of rabbit care education just all kinds of good stuff so you can well pre-covid you could go and just like sit and pet bunny rabbits <laughs> so at this <laughs> event that they had with the house rabbit society they had rabbits there they had so a few you could rabbits drink there. with the rabbits yeah. it was awesome yeah. and we played yard games we played yeah. uh, they, these rabbits were taken excellent care of you know there were only like two or three of the rabbits it wasn't like a giant flock and they were always in the arms of a georgia house rabbit society member you know being taken care of so they felt safe and they were well cared for also, we played games, and yeah, it's where we, learned... we discovered bocce ball yeah, for the first where time. Yeah, we learned how to play bocce yeah. ball. We don't remember how to play bocce ball. It's been too long. But we but do we own like, bocce ball we that like we never the use. Game. So, 
That's classic us. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So so great relationship with the brewery from, from olden times before we moved away to Woodstock. And um, so now we are bringing the Long Day Lager. And a little bit of information about the brewery. So it was started in August of 2011. And it became the very first craft brewery in Georgia to can their beer. Mm. Yeah. Um, something that I did not know until I looked this up. In 2020, they began distilling red hair rum, gin, and vodka. Oh. Yeah. And opened up a location on Marietta Square called The Still on the Square. Well, we really need to get back to Marietta Square. It's probably been three years yeah, since it's, we've been Yeah, it's there. been a little while. But yeah, we've really got to go. And I'm very into buying local spirits as well. It's much harder to find local spirits than it is local beer. Yeah. So I'm excited to try that. Yeah. So, all right. Let's, uh, let's drink this thing. Cheers. Cheers. That's a little hoppier than I was expecting. It's a lager, so it's still pretty light. Yeah, it's light, but there's definitely some notes of hop, which I guess you would expect from a red hair. Oh, (laughs) the punster over here. Man. Were you sitting on that? Yeah, I was sitting on that. I was like, if there's there's hops, I'm going to hop. Oh. She's so proud of herself. <laughs> All right. All right. So, are you thinking about anything right now? Yeah, I've really been thinking about parody and satire. I we had this long discussion about Robin Hood, and my formative. I had two formative Robin Hood experiences. The first was the Disney cartoon where Robin Hood is a sexy fox, and then I had. Robin Hood Men in Tights, the Mel Brooks movie from the 90s, that I watched all the time. Totally recorded it off of TV. I probably still have the commercials oh, memorized. The good old video yeah, right? Tape. Yeah. Man, oh, I have so many movies from my childhood that are just recorded off of TV. And my favorite thing about it are the the recordings of the commercials. Yeah. It's just a it's slice a time capsule. Of, yeah, yeah, it's so great. The things that people dressed so silly and their yeah. cars were so silly. So I vividly, side note, I vividly remember we had Dumbo taped off of TV. And I vividly remember, like, a yeast infection pill commercial where she, like, tapped the pill on the counter. Which I didn't understand what the commercial was for. I was just obsessed with the sound. And I, so anytime we had jelly beans, I'd try to recreate the sound (laughs) of her tapping the pill on the counter. And um, kids are weird. Really bizarre TWA, rest in peace TWA, uh, airline commercial where they were like flying on a cloud. It was almost like um, Wonder Woman's Invisible Plane (laughs) because you're supposed to be in such comfort. You're just flying on a cloud. Yeah, you're just flying on a cloud. Yeah. Man, that that commercial would never work nowadays. People don't just want to fly in a cloud. They want free booze. Yeah. And they want to be able to lounge while they are. I liked that airline. That was the first plane I ever flew on was a TWA TWA airline. Yeah. I have no knowledge of my first airline. No, I just don't know. (laughs) And there's no way to find out now. I know my brother threw up on it, so that's cool. Maybe he put them out of business. That's all right. That's a rough. And my dad forgot his wallet in the uh, airplane. He had to go back for it. Oh man! Yeah, because my brother threw up, and so dad. You just just, couldn't. You couldn't do that now. They couldn't forget your wallet. They wouldn't let you turn around. 
Oh, well, yeah. I remember him running back I, in, I but he didn't tell me what he was doing. He told yeah. mom, but he didn't tell me. So dad just like runs back to the plane. And I was pretty young. So I was like, dad's going back home. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember. Wow. We're really sidetracking here, but I can remember like waiting at the gate. To meet my dad coming off the plane. Yeah. You know. And Those, I, yeah, I remember doing that too. And I can that... remember like, oh my God, there was, Eliza was, my little sister was two and we'd gone out to California to visit my grandparents and both of my grandparents went through security with us, waited at the gate with us. My grandfather walks onto the plane to help my mom get the car seat on the plane. Wow. Yeah. Not happening. No, no, no way. No way. Pre-2001. That's just yeah. amazing. Yeah. So Robin Hood. Yeah, Robin Hood. Um, Robin Hood. Robin I, was, Hood. I, I didn't realize until much later in my life that Robin Hood Men in Tights is apparently a satire parody of Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, mm-hmm. which is Kevin Costner. And um, Snape, Snape, Severus, Snape. Dumbledore. What is his name? Alan Rickman. <laughs> Rest in peace. Oh my goodness. That's your monotonic monomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonomonom
to watch. Wow. Yeah. Because they're very silly. I know, right? <laughs> they are. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a few jump scares every now and then. But... I think there was one where they were parodying The Ring, which I'm not even going to talk too much about because that still really creeps me out. I don't like to think about it. There was Scary Movie 3, which was The Ring parody. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not going to think about that one because we're going to bed soon. And I don't need that in my head. I think there was also one that was imitating poltergeist, which I also don't want to get into because that also really freaks yeah. me out. And so I don't the want to think second about. one is the one that's in the haunted house, and it has the gentleman who has the tiny shriveled hand, but Stop. he Stop. He calls it his strong hand. Stop! And he uses it to, like, mix potato salad. Change the subject. <laughs> it's so great. It's so great. I feel like the second one is very quotable. All right, all right. So those are two examples of movies that I could think of. Are, can, I, can you think of any books that have been written like that? Well, so weirdly, the first thing that came to mind was... Oh, God, what's his name? The Rape of the Lock, where he's parodying Alexander Pope. Okay. That guy. Goodreads says, It is a mock heroic narrative poem, one of the most commonly cited examples of high burlesque. Okay. I think that supports my thesis. So he's, like, making fun of really melodramatic, like, romantic novels, like Cassandra or whatever. Yeah, because literally the entire story is just there's a woman at a party and a guy like cuts off one of her locks of hair. Yeah. And she and all of the women like go to the bathroom to collect themselves and then they they come back out and defeat him in a verbal joust yeah. and, and things like that. Yeah. In their defense, he cuts like five locks of hair and calls it a lock. Like a lock of hair is a very small amount of hair. And I think it said in the... I don't know why this sticks out from my English class. <laughs> he, like, cut off, like, a hank of hair instead of a lock of hair. Because you were a girl in an English class with yeah. hair. And yeah. to you, it was actually <laughs> like, really meaningful. Horrifying. Whereas for me, I was like, oh, yeah, I could totally see an angry group of girls storming away from the bathroom to come confront a guy. I hope I'm not that guy. Yeah, it, it reads differently in a more feminist way world that does just seem ridiculous that they would all abscond away and like collect themselves yeah but i actually think it it was quite rude of him writing in his time to write such a thing because women had so little power of course it would be very upsetting to have even that bit of bodily autonomy I think they stand up for themselves i can't remember i i really can't remember Is Gulliver's Travels... That's satire. It's not parody. Okay. So, you're correct. It's doing something, but it's not quite the same thing. I'm really really talking about Oh, let them eat babies. A modest proposal. Again, satire. So that... No. Well, you... At the beginning of this podcast, you said parody slash satire. I did, and I really shouldn't have. I was really trying to think more of direct parody. So can you define parody and satire? Yes, okay, so parody is... And what is is the difference? Parody is taking a work that has already been done 
and then kind of redoing the same work, emphasizing its sillier elements to a ridiculous degree. For example, Spaceballs is a parody of Star Wars. So it takes, you know, the opening scene of Star Wars where a giant spaceship pass, passes overhead. Uh, in Spaceballs, it passes overhead for like a minute and a half. It's just a ridiculously long spaceship that keeps going and going and going. Um, instead of believe in the force, it's believe in the Schwartz. Um, instead of Jabba the Hutt, it's Pizza the Hutt, and he's literally made out of melting cheese pizza, and he eats himself to death because he gets hungry. It's just, it's taking these ideas, and it's making them ridiculous. And when I was growing up, Mel Brooks was like the center yeah. of all of That's this. All right. Well, quickly, let's define satire then. So satire is doing something a little bit different. It is also using the idea of like um, overemphasizing something and, and, and kind of going a little bit too far. It's using, it's using humor, it's using irony to criticize something that the author thinks is really ridiculous or is a vice uh, it's used for con for issues in a society and it's usually tried to it's trying to create more topical change whereas a parody is just having fun satire is trying to change something so somebody there's a lot of political satire that is out there that will perhaps if there's a political figure that is known for let's say spending too much money a satire might have them living in a grand palace and eating unicorns. Mm. You know, like that, that kind of idea. So she mentioned... A modest proposal. A modest proposal, which has the idea of, well, we should just suggest... I know the, the Irish are starving, so they should just eat babies because they have plenty of they babies. They should eat their babies. Yes. They should eat their babies. They should eat their babies. Well, and, yeah. yeah, and so the... So, and it's obviously, like, that is not a real solution, but it's trying no. to bring to light the ridiculous suggestions that other Englishmen were coming up with. Well, it's also bringing to light the horrible prejudice that English, that the English had towards the Irish, they, they really dehumanized them to the point that they often thought of them as chattel. So, you know, if, if you really have dehumanized them that much, then it, it should be just fine to feed them their own babies. Yeah, why not? So that's that's more satire. Gulliver, Gulliver's Travels is satire because it's not taking a direct work and remaking it. Instead, it's looking at an entire picture of society and through these different islands or countries that he's traveling to, he is trying to satirize political institutions in his own day and character types and people that he knew and interacted with and you know big people and small people people who act large people who act small gotcha. so satire really often has more of a political bent to it and and one could claim maybe parody has more to do with commenting on just art itself yeah I, I think that's a really good way satire is a commentary on the world and parody is a commentary on art it is art on art. I like wow, that. my mind. <laughs> <laughs> that was your idea, and it still blew your mind. <laughs> Good job, self. Yay, um, you. Okay. Circling back to Robin Hood, and I was thinking about how I think the success of all of the parodies of Robin Hood have actually been a detriment to how that mythology lives on in our culture today. Part of why we haven't had a really great Robin Hood movie 
in recent times is because nobody's kind of taken just a straight shot approach to it. Everybody wants to retell it. Let's do this again gritty. Or make it really absurd. Pop Medieval Name Drop podcast did a really good episode, I think, talking about one of the recent Robin Hood movies. I think it was the one with the guy from... Russell Crowe. The Kingsman. What is his name? Joel Egerton? I don't know why we're talking about The Kingsman. The main dude that we follow in that movie, the the young guy, he plays Robin Hood in the movie that... Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McNamara <laughs> were talking about. But I believe it was a very, very silly kind of almost comic book yes movie. And so it was just it was too far from the source material, especially at a time when we haven't had a medium close to the source material. Yeah, so you know, these were my my childhood. Like I had the Disney Robin Hood, which is a very good honest retelling of it for the most part like yeah they're they're foxes but for the most part it keeps to well, everything if you go you back a little further i think disney has a better version from like i think it's from the 50s which is what i grew up watching the errol flynn is that no disney? it's not the errol no no i don't know the errol flynn very well disney did like a live action you know in yeah. in the vein of like the swiss family robinson but it's from like the 50s 60s so it's it's very like straightly laced yeah. and everything and and i i really enjoy it uh when disney plus came out that was like the first thing that i watched yeah. on it and it was as good as i remembered from when i was seven so i wonder like one of the reasons that robin hood is not being remade in a classic bend is yeah. because everybody who's remaking things already knows it but it's the kids nowadays. So it's like, if you're going to redo that, you have to make it for kids because they don't know the story yet. They're not watching these. Okay, note to self, little one and big one need to watch my 1950s Robin Hood. So they know, so they know the story. All right. That was wonderful. Now, before you give us the dramatic reading, Emily, please tell us what you remember about this poem and why it was written. Okay, I have notes. All right, so this... A Benjamin Bunny poem was another assignment from my from my college professor Keisha Kuiper's name, name drop. Go read her stuff. Spoiler: This is a, a sonnet. I think I've spoken very openly before about <laughs> how sonnets are not my favorite to write. Um, I can remember Keisha Kuiper's telling my class that at that moment in time she was really excited by them because. They felt like poem machines was the word she used. You could just plug and chug them out following the form, and it lent itself well. We've talked about how certain forms of poetry lend themselves well to expressing certain things. And so she felt like that particular form was very useful. I disagree. I have the hardest time with sonnets. I tried to be playful in this one and chose my beloved childhood pet rabbit, Benji, as my subject, because I thought this playful, unexpected, maybe un- slightly unusual pet would help me with the turn. Eric will tell you whether or not I succeeded in that. I picked this one today to see if, with your help, I can finally write a decent sonnet. Okay, well, thank you very much for giving us that introduction. And now... A dramatic reading! A dramatic reading! Dramatic reading! reading. 
bunny can perform more tricks than any gymnast knows, but ignores any commands to come or go and leaves turds behind when he is unimpressed. A purebred, he maintains a detailed set of opinions on politics and art and shops with his own credit card at PetSmart. If his morning room service arrives late, he throws his Dior dish across the cage. Only a spinach leaf can appease that rage. He presides over not one, but two leisure homes. The cottage is his refuge from winter's frost, and he keeps a Winnebago for weekend jaunts. He receives visitors between noon and two, and in his benevolence, he might shed on you. Thank you very much for giving us that dramatic reading. So I just remembered that I had gone back through my records and found this was already like the third pass at this <laughs> for my like final portfolio. So for first, the class. first you did it in class and then they gave you notes and then you yeah. came back. So I went and found the very first draft. Do you think it would be useful to talk about that at all? Couldn't hurt, okay. uh, especially if there are significant differences. There are significant differences, and so I think it's interesting what I tried to do. Okay, so the original draft is Benjamin. A rabbit may not be the greatest pet if you measure such things as ears and toes. Mine stands ten inches long from tail to nose and weighs two pounds, according to his vet. He is too slight in strength for prudent bets in any competition that I know. He ignores all commands to come or go and leaves turds behind when happy or upset. A purebred, he maintains a detailed set of opinions on politics and art. He does all things with personality. He is the greatest you have ever met. If you consider his soul and heart, Benji loves with his whole identity. So, I, I just... I, I am immediately struck by, you know, the first line, he may not be the greatest <laughs> pet, which is almost the same way that you started the earth. Yeah. home. Is round like a ball. But earth is not <laughs> the greatest planet of all. So or not the biggest planet of all. Yeah, so it's just, you know, apparently still this idea of at least your poem writing, where you're really feeling like you have to defend something. Uh, it didn't make it into the final draft, so... No, I think the notes I got were, they were really... The class was really entertained by... He maintains a detailed set of opinions on politics or politics and art, and we're like, let's lean more into hearing more about his personality. Yeah. I think that came to the detriment of following the classic sonnet form, though, because there's nothing really to turn about it. Yeah, so I my my first I'll talk about kind of form and then I'll talk yeah, about Yeah, I was I would really like to get into the meter of this. So I'll start first with rhyme and then I'll get into meter. Okay. So the rhyme your your rhymes first go A A B and then B C C D E E F G G H H. So aside from the first line, you actually keep to your own um, idea where the first line in each stanza does not rhyme and then the second and third lines do rhyme. Set, art, pet smart, late, cage rage, homes, frost jaunts, to you. But the first stanza has nose go unimpressed. 
Yeah. Uh, which which doesn't full which doesn't really hold to that. The 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 one at the, the second to the last frosts and jaunts is it's kind of pushing rhyme. it. Yeah. I will allow it for this podcast, but it's not it's not firm. Um, now, as far as the um, the meter goes, it was a little bit more difficult, and you you sway a little bit. The first stanza has six beats per line with 11 syllables. Um, can perform more tricks than any gymnast knows. You have a pretty solid um, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's there. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're doing it. You're going... It's, so that it's, is iambic. Yeah, it's iambic. Okay. It is. Um, although it starts on a stressed, so I guess it's more trochaic. Da, 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 well, da. I I have the title is intended to flow directly into the poem. Yeah. Does that affect that? Not really, because if you don't, if you put it in the first line, then it completely messes up the beats. And okay. <laughs> so I, I I wouldn't really say that, but it not every line really holds to that. Like the next one, but ignores any commands to come or go. So it should be all commands to come or go. But ignores all. All commands to come or go. No, all, that doesn't help, But does it? ignores all commands to come or go. It's a little bit better. But yeah, it, it just leave. Uh, so there's another one. So that's the first stanza. The second stanza has five beats, four beats, five beats. A purebred, he maintains a detailed set. Da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. At least the way that I scan it. That's the way that I read it. And then the four is of opinions on politics and art. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's very musical, but it, it doesn't really... Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> um, but, it, but it doesn't really match what else is going on here. Uh, it, it truly goes off the rails in the second to the last stanza where you go up to seven beats... 12 syllables he presides over not one but two leisure homes which just scans strangely it's stressed unstressed da 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 so he preside so is it better if it's just he presides over not one but two homes he presides over not one but two. I you just I need a different word. So leisure, the... you hear leisure like it's leisure. It's stressed, unstressed. There's no way to change yeah. that. It's leisure. So instead, if you instead did, I'm trying to think of a word that would go yeah. in that would go into that I space. I think that was my problem in writing this poem. So my meter's all over the place. Your meter's all over the place. I'm going to think of a perfect word to go in here, but I'll think of it later. Yeah, yeah the meter's all the over the place. And then it, it you kind of stick to seven for the last two lines. He receives vis- visitors between noon and two. Uh, it's not... I see why sonnets cause you such problems. <laughs> <laughs> because between the rhyme and the, and the rhythm... You get so into the the rhyme and the rhythm that the ideas behind it, I think, suffered. Yeah. So, like, now, okay, now I've talked about rhyme and rhythm. Now I'm going to talk about my favorite ideas. 
I agree. I agree with your classmates that when you, you're starting to talk about him like a character, he has opinions on politics, he throws his Dior dish, you know, he, he does these things. He's a character. He's wind in the willows. He's, he's yeah. a, an actual thing that can think and dance and do, do things like that. And it kind of gives us a reason to understand why we're learning about him. As of right now, when I read this, I think, okay, you're describing a bunny. That's nice. People like their pets. What am I supposed to get out of this? Why is this different? It's like me describing my storm in, our, in the episode. Yeah, yeah, I think I picked the subject because he was... I thought it would be a turn, or unexpected at least, to be like, look at my pet. It's a rabbit. Seems a little juvenile for a 21-year-old. I like vividly remember having to read this in front of the class just after name drop... Gabrielle Bates had read a poem basically about the speaker losing their virginity to their long-term boyfriend in, like, Venice (laughs) and being like, I have to follow that with this. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's cool. I wrote about uh, Bunny. But, guys, he, like, poops unexpectedly. And it got worse. We, like, broke up into little pods of, like, three or four to critique. And I was in her pod. <laughs> I was like, no! Yeah. So, Venice, but have you considered instead? So, we sit down and I'm like, so, yeah, I really like Venice. I've been there twice. <laughs> I just like bunnies, okay? I just like bunnies. I just like them. <laughs> Yeah, so just, I I suspect you're going to tell me, write a sonnet or write a poem about your rabbit. I can't do both. No, I don't want to encourage you to write a sonnet. I I could, but it's just, you're not going to get anything out of it. These are not fun for you. I don't want to force you to do that. Like, you're having so much fun with certain ideas. And I think trying to push yourself in that direction, while you can absolutely learn and grow and do different things, that it could be more fun to play with the ideas and then see if they can be applied to a sonnet. I think what Ketchik was trying to say was if you have an idea and it fits in a sonnet, then the sonnet form can really help you grow the idea. But don't try to force any idea into it. Some of them yeah. just don't work in, yeah. in that. Well, and I, I think that's been my my problem throughout school mm-hmm. is I just don't have any ideas that fit. <laughs> or I haven't thus far. Well, and so uh, that's been my tension. Like, I'm not proper this damn form. <laughs> I'm just going to get... So we've got to go through... And I'm going to do a scan of, like, so many different sonnets, and I will give you a list of seven topics that you could write a sonnet on. Oh, babe, that's, like, so much work. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. Oh, I took you seriously. Fine, now I've got to do it. Okay, I'll do it. And then you can choose one of the forms, and then you can write a sonnet on it. That way you're not having to worry about as much what you're saying yeah and it's easier to turn like right now what's the turn gonna be he's a vampire he died like the you're just you're describing something so you can't turn it you're not arguing for something so if for instance this all right so this this was my big idea when i was growing up we had our family pet was a miniature dachshund named oscar and he was awesome and what we found we really love our pets yeah. <laughs> but what what i realized 
after he had passed away was that, you know, there are those certain moments during dinner when nobody really has anything to say because you've all been together all day and you know exactly what everybody has done because it's summer break and nobody has anything to talk about. So you talk about the dog or you talk to the dog and you talk about the silly things that he's doing and why he's begging for food and things like he's a, a space giver. Uh, a space Even filler. A security blanket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> conversation yeah. And security then, blanket. And then as long as you have that conversation security blanket, other things can come up naturally. And once he had passed away, then it was a little bit more difficult. And I was wondering if maybe we could tap into the same thing. Because this was a beloved childhood pet that has since passed. And, yeah. and maybe the turn can be kind of the, the narrator's realization that all of the conversations that were being done that that had to do with Benjamin Bunny, without them, what was there to talk about? That the silence of him not being there wasn't just him not scratching in his cage, but the silence was the lack of conversation about him and the complete lack of other things to talk about in the family unit. This actually... I love that idea. But it also actually reminded me of another poem that I wrote in high school about breaking up with someone and being like, I'm so used to like holding hands, like being on the bus and holding hands, standing at the bus stop, holding hands, getting water uh, on the water break at marketing band and holding hands, like walking down the hall, holding hands, sitting at lunch, holding hands. Like, what do I do with this freaking hand? Yeah. You know, that's a very similar idea. Yeah. It is like, what do I do with this? What do I? What do I do with my like, hands? I'm almost. I almost want to write the hand poem as a sonnet. <laughs> <laughs> my hand, the sonnet. Well, he, Benji is. This poem was written when he was still alive, and I, I, I've talked about how I think I chose this subject because I was really anxious about trying to write a sonnet, and he was like a comforting happy subject to think about I think I wanted to try to write something happy Uh, he passed a few years after this poem was written and it was it was unexpected it was kind of a traumatic death for all of us (laughs) concerned it's like it's it's hard to be in that space now yeah you know I could say I mean if if you're still mourning over it there's I, I could encourage you to write as an act of um, like grieving. Yeah, an act of grieving, an act of therapy. Yeah. Um, but but you, if, if you're not ready, hand poem though. Yeah. <laughs> is that a safety poem, Emily? Is it? Is that a safety poem? Are you like, yeah? Instead of dealing with that grief, you know what I can do? <laughs> Talk about hands. Yeah. We'll see. The hand poem sounds very nice. <laughs> so, other ideas, other thoughts from your point of view, I. I, so I would I would also be really intrigued by like what if you just leaned into creating a child's cartoon character about yeah, Benji and I, really made him like a rustic old country gentleman. I had that fleeting thought when you were comparing this to in, in the Willows because we we we've, we've been going back through a lot of our old writings recently. I wonder why. Yeah. Um, I wonder what event is taking and, place well, in Well, there's life. a couple that have really sparked some more children's books ideas. And I was, I was like, as you were talking about comparing this character in the poem to, like, The Wind in the Willows or Beatrix Potter, I was like, huh, what if I just abandoned poetry and <laughs> turned him into a children's book? That would be fun. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm also thinking about that. Yeah, that could be a lot of fun. 
Just talk about his little adventures. Have a short little book. It doesn't get me any closer to conquering my fear of sonnets. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe the sonnet will be easier if you break it up and have like one line per page. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. I'm trying to be encouraging. It's It's not terrible. It's not the best, though. It's not great. It's it's very obviously. It's no Gabby Bates uh, Venice (laughs) Venice virginity poem. Oh, those Venice virginity poems. (laughs) As they say. Now, the, the the thing about it is it was very obviously like an assignment. This wasn't, you were, you were filling a, a, you were filling an assignment. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, and you needed something to write about, so you chose your bunny. I needed something to write, write about, so I chose the rain. I figured out what I personally think is a very great way to turn the rain into something, and I'm actually talking about something. So that's your challenge for this rewrite is how can I make this bunny an argument for something? How can I have it tell a story instead of just describing something? You're trying to tell a story. Yeah. And if you need to abandon the sonnet to tell the story or if the story doesn't fit into a sonnet, you'll one day write a story that will fit into a sonnet. It'll be fun. I'm feeling encouraged. Alright, now that I've done that. Thank you for sharing that with us. I'd, love I'd to like to keep talking, but my glass is empty and my brain is full. Thank you for sharing your rough draft today, and I look forward to hearing it again on Open Mic Night. Dear listener, if you have any edits, thoughts, or suggestions on this rough draft, you can find us on Instagram as Diamonds in the Rough Draft, on Twitter as Diamond Rough Draft Pod, or email us at DiamondRoughDraftPod at gmail.com. If you or someone in your life is interested in having a draft on this podcast or joining as a guest, Please reach out. If you happen to be Neil Gaiman or Gail Carragher, please reach out quickly. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Diamonds in the Rough Draft. This is Emily Anderson. And this is Eric Anderson. Have a great time and don't edit under the influence. All works read on the Diamonds in the Rough Draft podcast are original works and are not to be reproduced or distributed in any form without the express written permission of the author. All works of fiction on this podcast are products of the author's imaginations, and any resemblance to actual events, places, or persons, living or dead, is entirely coincidental.